the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number one. Last week, missed a tremendous opportunity to uh, pray for our country and pray for our nation and pray for um, just the current situation that uh, we see that's going on. And we're definitely living in perilous times and difficult times, as what our Lord told us, that as the love of many will grow cold, lawlessness will, will increase. And I think we are definitely seeing a lot of that. And uh, we missed that opportunity to really give thought to our nation and give thought to prayer. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, this, this week, um, you know, as God's word tells us that we need to be praying, we need to be in prayer, and he commands his people, you, me, we are God's people, that we are the ones that need to be praying, we are the ones that need to be repenting, we are the ones that need to be turning back to God. God's people are. And so I want to encourage you this week um, to take some time and pray and fast. And you say, well, what is, what is fasting? Well, fasting is the fact of you giving up something and in return seeking God's face. So it could be food, it could be pleasure, television, hobby, whatever it may be. Um, I'm not going to tell you when to do that. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I encourage you to do that. I spoke to, with the other elders about this and um, said that I, I think, you know, because of the uh, spiritual things that are going on, you know, it's spiritual warfare that we are, that we are seeing, that we are facing, and I want to encourage all of us that we are praying, encourage all of us that we are seeking God's face uh, in all of that. And uh, so I want to encourage you uh, in that way to pray for our nation, pray for our country, but more importantly, pray that you, me, our church, the church in general, will repent. You know, when, when God brings judgment upon a nation, um, he allows time for them to repent and that is, I believe, a brief window of, of opportunity that we are seeing here that the church is the one that needs to be repenting. The church is the one that needs to be turning back to God. And uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to seek God's face uh, in all of that. We're going to be here in Philippians chapter number one, and we find this prayer here. And as we've been looking at this letter to the Philippian church, Paul has just expressed his joy for this church and what the uh, church uh, did for Paul and the fact that they brought a financial gift uh, for Paul. And on the heels of his greetings, uh, we find this prayer here in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and that's really what we're going to be looking at here. And this prayer only covers three verses. But yet, it is a very tremendous and spirit-filled prayer that he prays for these believers here at Philippi. And I believe that these, the words here that Paul prays for this church comes from a, a, an intense desire that he has 
for them to actually walk and live out the love that he previously talked about in the, uh, in the previous verses here. And uh, Paul, Paul's desire for them is the fact that they would grow in their love and that their fellowship would grow, their unity would grow together. Not that it wasn't there, but the fact that he asked that it abounds, that it will continue to grow uh, in, that, in that sense. And you know, what's awesome though is this prayer is just not for this church at Philippi because since it was written under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, this is scripture. This is, this is applicable for all of us as believers, that this prayer is a spirit-filled prayer. It is a inspired prayer for us even today that we as believers would grow in our love uh, towards one another, that we would seek out unity and fellowship. And uh, it's for every believer. Packed within this small prayer is a powerful message that we find of encouragement, excellence, and worship. And the things that Paul prays for uh, in these three verses uh, is an increase of love and discernment and knowledge. And he prays for purity. He prays for righteousness. And he sums it all up as it is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And so there's so much in this prayer that is applicable for us that we're not even going to be able to expound on all of it here just this morning. We're actually going to park it here just for a little bit and, and really dig into this and see what, what Paul is, is talking about for the church and why it's so crucial for the church even today that we actually live this out. And so I trust that the Holy Spirit can show us areas in our life that are sadly lacking or areas that need more growth as we seek out to live out this prayer is what Paul prays uh, for this church. And it's my prayer for us as a church that we all will desire a fellowship and unity to not just maintain a status quo, not just keep it going, but uh, that we would go deeper in our fellowship and unity towards one another. You know, one thing that we have to remember is that Satan is at work and he is at work to bring division within the very body of Christ. And that's why it is so essential that we maintain fellowship, that we maintain unity as what uh, God uh, tells us to do. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Overflow in love, with knowledge and discernment, as it is a key to having joyful fellowship and unity within the body of Christ. So let's take note here a couple things. First of all, let's read through this prayer. He says this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So first of all, allow your love to continue to grow. Paul's prayer here is that they would grow with balance. Do you see the balance there? Not just that they would grow with love, but they would grow with love, 
with knowledge and all discernment. There's a balance there that must be applied. He doesn't just desire that they grow in love, but love with knowledge, love with discernment. Love is to abound in knowledge and in discernment. Can I give you another way to think about this? Our love should be intelligent and discriminating. He tells us why we should do this because look at verse number 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. When Christ returns, we as believers need to be approved before God. And that approval is the fact that we are being approved with what is excellent and to be pure and blameless at his coming. And so how do we do that? By growing in our love with knowledge and all discernment. And so for there to be continued fellowship and unity within the body of Christ, we should continue to grow in our love and knowledge and discernment. And so Paul is not telling them that they need to love, but rather to allow their present love to abound. We know that this church was a very loving church because for 10 years after Paul had planted this church, 10 years later, now he's sitting in a prison cell and this same church that he planted is still supporting him, even while he's in prison. And so we know that their love abounded towards Paul. But now he challenges them and he says, continue to grow in that love. And so he's not questioning the sincerity of their affection for him or for one another. He desires for them to abound in their love. I believe it thrilled Paul's heart to know that this church had love towards one another. He told us in verse number four that when he prayed, he said, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He says, I know your love. I know that you have this and I'm very joyful for it, but I'm gonna challenge you a little bit more. I want to challenge you to abound in love towards each other. He wants to see their love increase. He wants it to deepen he wants their love to intensify. One thing that I've come to find out is that we never love perfectly in our life. I always get a kick out of seeing young, uh, young couples who are about ready to get married. And boy, their eyes are just so filled with lovey-dovey love, right? It's all ooey and gushy, right? Oh, he's so perfect, right? But what happens 15 years later? I can't stand him. Right? What happened? You see, we do not love perfectly in this life. There's always something that is wrong. It's skewed. It's because we are fallen sinful creatures. And so I have found that there are always flaws in my feelings and for others and ways in which my generosity and sacrifice and service for others often fall short. Have you ever came to a point in your relationships that you feel satisfied and content and you think that you've done enough? Like, wow, boy, I have just expelled all the love that I could ever love towards anybody and I have just loved, 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 loved. No, none of us do that because we know that there is always more that we could do. 
Because love should never be just a status quo of achievement for the Christian, but our love should be dynamic. It should be abounding. It should be growing towards one another. It should always be growing and expanding. So how does all of this happen? How do we abound in love is what Paul prays for this church. How do we do that? Well, Paul's prayer is that they will abound in love, that they would abound in knowledge with discernment. How does our love, knowledge, and discernment grow? Do we do it? Do we, do we actually do it? Do we say, well, you know what? I'm going to get a piece of paper this week, and I'm going to start writing out all the ways that I can start loving people a lot better in a, in a, in a better way. Do we read books on love? Do we attend conferences on love? Do we watch TED Talks on love? Is that, is that how we abound in love? Is that the key? How does our love and knowledge and discernment grow? Listen to Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. If their love is to increase, if our love for one another is to increase, God is the one that has to make it happen. Listen to the words again in 1 Thessalonians. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Yes, we are responsible to love others. To do whatever is needed to clear away obstacles, to extend forgiveness, to overcome bitterness and jealousy and envy and rivalry and all the sinful impulses that we uh, come into our lives that hinder us from loving others. We are commanded to love others. But according to 1 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul believed that God is the one who does this. So the Spirit of God must be presently living in your heart. If you do not have the Spirit of God living in your heart, you cannot love the way that God says that we are commanded to love. And so it is him who is working in our hearts to make this possible. Another reason why I believe that it is God who is doing this work is because look what Paul prays for here in verse number nine here in Philippians. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. If love were entirely within our own power to do this, to produce, why would Paul then have bothered in praying for it? Why would he make that a request? Why would he go to the throne of grace and pray for these Philippian believers and say, God, I want to see their love abound. I want to see their love just continue to deepen for each other. Because if they could do it on their own, he wouldn't have to pray for it. And so it is God that is at work in the hearts of these Philippian believers and he goes to the throne of grace seeking for God to do the work in their heart that they would abound in love. And so he pleads with God that his spirit might convict them, that it might stir them and empower them and enable them to overcome defensive and selfishness so that, that 
that those things that so often hinders us from actually showing love towards one another. You know, we should be, as believers, should be praying to know Christ's love. In one of the greatest prayers recorded in the New Testament, Paul prays that God would enable believers by the Holy Spirit's power to grasp the vast, incomprehensible nature of God's love. Turn with me over to the book of Ephesians, just one book previously over from Philippians. And look what uh, Ephesians chapter four, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter three has to say about this. Listen to Paul's prayer as he prays for even this church at Ephesus. Listen to what he has to say. Verse number 14, Ephesians chapter three. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so Paul actually prays this for these believers. In his book, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ, Martin Lloyd-Jones had this to say about Paul's prayer there in Ephesians. Listen to what he has to say. We must never fall into the air of imagining that because we are Christians, we therefore know all about the love of God. Most of us are but as children paddling at the edge of an ocean. There are absimbled depths in this love of God of which we know nothing. The apostle is praying that these Ephesians and we with them may go out into the depths and the deeps and discover things which we have never imagined. So where is our love towards one another? How do we express our love towards one another? Is it, is, it, is it surface only? Paul prays for them that they would abound, that they would go deep within the love of Christ and in turn actually be able to reflect that. You see, no matter how long you have been a believer, love can increase far beyond what we ever thought was possible. Sometimes we can fall into a trap thinking that we have done all that we can do to love. But Paul evidently here believed something about love that we could actually go deeper into our love and knowledge of Christ and knowledge of God and actually be able to live in that. And we could grow and expand and become increasingly more passionate and authentic and could express itself in far more concrete and tangible ways than we have ever begun to imagine. Look at his words here again in the prayer that Paul prays here in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Think about our fellowship here as believers, our fellowship, Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship. Have we been abounding in our love towards one another? Have we prayed that our love would abound more and more? What do our prayers consist of as believers towards one another and for ourselves? 
Is it the love of Christ? You see, the message of the gospel is the adhesive that holds everything together. Despite the most heartfelt differences that we may have from time to time. And so here he prays not simply for the maintenance of love in their midst, not simply that they hold fast to the status quo. Well, just keep going in love there. It's, yeah, just, just keep maintaining it. No, he says that I want it to abound. I want it to go deep. That they hold fast. That they would experience excess, fullness, and overflowing abundance of love. Now remember, love is good, but it also must be balanced. And that is where we get to this next part of Paul's prayer here. You see, because love without knowledge and discernment can go off course. I think we see that happen all the time, don't we? We see it with messages such as, like as, love is love, right? Love is love. We gotta love each other. You gotta love me. That's why Paul says it has to have knowledge and discernment. So it must be balanced with truth. So here's the next part here. Love with knowledge. Look what he says here, verse number nine again. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We get that, Paul. We understand that we need to dive into the depths of love. But then he says this, with knowledge and all discernment. So here's the balance here. The kind of love Paul has in mind isn't the sort of gullible, gooey, uh, gushy sort of love that lacks wisdom and encourages people to continue in their sin. Love must be governed by knowledge and discernment. And it's important to define the terms which Paul is talking about here because he says that it must be balanced with knowledge. So too often people do things in the name of love, but yet completely lack knowledge and discernment. And there's a lot of messages that we are hearing today that say it's being done in the name of love. For the sake of love, they will ignore biblical truth and in turn make allowances for sin and all in the effort of not to offend someone or hurt their feelings. I can't tell you how important it is for a church to stand on the truth of the word of God. Because if we start getting it in our minds thinking, oh no, somebody got hurt. Their feelings got hurt. Because we are preaching a message of truth, sorry, we have to stand strong on the word of God. Something that the church today needs to repent of is trying to win the approval and the love of the world. We need to repent of that. It is not our job to sit there and try to get the world to love us or to like our message. Because guess what? When Jesus was around teaching and preaching, what did he do? He called for people to repent. He called for people to not continue in their sin. And people were offended by that. How do we know that they were offended by that? 
because they killed him. And Jesus said very clearly, he says, if the world hated me, what's gonna happen? They're gonna hate you also. So we need to have knowledge here. Churches have quit standing for truth because they are afraid that they will offend someone or hurt their feelings. Our affection should be for Christ alone and it is for the glory of God alone. And the only approval, the only approval that we should be seeking is God's. Listen to what James 4, 4 has to say about this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So it's one thing to have love. We should have love, yes. Our love should be abounding more and more, right? But the message of love must be balanced. God's word tells us to abound in love, but the balance is with knowledge and discernment. So let's look at each one of these. First of all, knowledge. What is knowledge? What, what kind of knowledge is he talking about here? Well, see, our love should be growing with knowledge. Paul insists that love and knowledge are absolutely essential to each other. In 1 Corinthians 13, known as the great love chapter, Paul says, even if I have all knowledge, but I don't have love, he says what? I am nothing. In 1 Corinthians 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse number one, he says that knowledge puffs up, but love is what builds up. Evidently, there is a kind of knowledge that we pride ourselves in that does not allow love to show. It quenches love. But here in Philippians chapter number one, Paul here says that you can't love well if your love isn't guided by knowledge. So what can we possibly mean by this? What kind of knowledge is he talking about here? Paul is not just talking about any sort of knowledge. He's not talking about how many cups are in a court. Some of you are thinking right now, how many cups are in a court? He's not talking about knowledge of how to play basketball. He's not talking about knowledge of how to, how to run a backhoe or operate a post hole digger. What's, what is he talking about? He's saying the love must abound with knowledge. The knowledge he is talking about is its knowledge of God and his ways, and in particular, the manner in which he loves sinners like you and like me. So what is it that Paul has in mind that we need to know to love well? Well, see, our love must be grounded in and flow out of a knowledge of why we should love. In other words, to love well, we must understand how we ourselves are loved by God in Christ. Let's get a surreal example of this. Flip with me over again over here to Ephesians chapter number four. And I want to show you something here very important about this knowledge of love that he's talking about. Ephesians chapter four, verse number 32. Notice what Paul says here. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. 
And so clearly, if we are to forgive one another properly and sincerely, we must first be fully aware of and in touch with the depths of that forgiveness that God has worked in our own life, how he forgave us. And you think about all the sin that you and I have ever committed. And what has God done? He has forgiven us. We have to understand that. And so we must be fully aware of that, to be in touch with the depths of the forgiveness that God has given us in Christ. And then notice the continuing verses here in Ephesians, what Paul says here really sounds like what he's saying here in Philippians chapter number one, chapter five, verse number one in Ephesians, therefore be imitators of God. We are to be imitating God in what? In that forgiveness. How do, we, how do we know that? Well, because we are, have a knowledge of how God in Christ forgave us. And look what he says, verse number two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he exhorts us again in that. Did you get that? Did you see it? Look what he says here again. Look at this. Number two, uh, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why are we to walk in love, Paul? Why did Christ give himself up as a sacrifice? Because you were special? Did he give himself up as a sacrifice because... You were loving? No. Because we were in our sin. We had offended God. We were unholy, unrighteous, unloving. And yet in our sin, God forgave us. God sent his son Christ to die for us. And so it was Christ's sacrifice, his love, his death that saved us. It is that knowledge that God calls us to not remain in sin. And is that not what God did when he called you? You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He called you. He awakened you to the understanding of your sin. Your lost condition. And what did you do? In turn, you repented of that sin and you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. It is that knowledge that Paul is talking about here. And so in turn, in love, we call for others not to remain in sin. We call for repentance. It isn't enough simply to exhort a Christian to love. We need to go deeply into the knowledge of what it means when he says that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering, he says here, and sacrifice to God. And so here we are given not only the reason why we love others, but also how we are to imitate as we love others. You see, people love people, others, for all sorts of kinds of reasons. Think about it. Think about the reason why you may love another person, okay? You may feel it is your moral obligation to do so. Some are trying to repay a debt 
that they think they owe. Others are trying to put someone else in their debt, hoping that by loving them, the other person will do something in return. And then there are those who use love as a way of flattery. And this is loving without knowledge. So how do we accomplish what Paul is praying for us here in Philippians 1? How do we love with knowledge? You see, to love with knowledge is to realize that we were utterly undeserving of Christ's love. Worse still, we were unrighteous and spiritually bankrupt. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And in our lives, we encounter people that we think that they should not deserve anything good from us. And we make judgments upon people of of how they may treat us or how they may act towards us. And those judgments that we make, we, we, we process this and we say, well, you know what? They don't deserve anything good from, from me because, boy, that person's a really a rotten scoundrel. And I'm not going to dare show any love towards them. But in all of that we are to do, we are to love. Christ loved us without regard to the cost that was involved. He subjected himself to humiliation. He hung naked on a cross. He was beaten and wounded for our transgressions. The wrath of God was poured out upon him as he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He who was rich became poor. See, God didn't have, Jesus didn't have any regard of what it was going to cost him. He did it. He suffered humiliation and shame. He suffered the unimaginable anguish of being separated from his father as he bore the wrath that we deserved and became sin for us. So let me ask you a question. As Paul is praying here this prayer for the Philippian church that they would abound in love with knowledge. Do we love others only when it is convenient for us to do so. Only when there's time in the day, only when others are looking, only when we feel like it, only when we are persuaded that they deserve it, only when we anticipate being loved in return, only when it makes us look good in the eyes of others. Sometimes we do things hoping that people are gonna notice, they're gonna say, wow, Boy, that person is just a swell guy. Boy, she is just something. Look how much she loves that person. What is that? That's hypocrisy, folks. If we are doing it to be seen of others, that is hypocrisy. And we need to be very careful as a church that we need not be hypocritical in our relationships of showing a false love just so we might look good in front of others. That's hypocrisy and it's very offensive to God. Perhaps this is something that the church should be repenting of, saying how much we really love people and not standing for truth. Maybe we love without knowledge. Perhaps we are hypocritical in our love towards one another. 
The point is, is that we only love well and to the glory of God when our love for one another is driven and energized and governed by the knowledge of the kind of love that God had for us in Christ. That's the simple reason why you and I will never be able to love someone with knowledge so as long as you live in ignorance of the message of the gospel. That's why I say over and over and over and over, get the message of the gospel. Understand what it is saying. That is the adhesive, that is the glue that enables us to live the way that Christ has called us to live understanding what Christ has done for us and we in return show that same message towards others. Here's the second thing that Paul talks about, love with discernment. Love with discernment. How do we love with discernment? Next week. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.